so my name is uh, Ugo, uh, Ugo Chupo is my full name. I'm uh, from Nigeria and um, currently I'm in Dubai. Uh, my work takes me you know, from different places, uh, from different parts of the world. Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. Because I believe that in the world that we exist today, um, uh, borders shouldn't be barriers to uh, uh, the quest for uh, actually achieving success in the world, for uh, creating access to resources. And that's why I believe so much in using, uh, 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 creating access to resources by being able to, by allowing people, exposing people's minds to the level of abundance in the world and exposing people's minds to a good understanding of who they are so that they can, if you come to a good understanding of your self-identity, who you are, if you can think clearly about those things, if you, 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 the question of who am I, and uh, uh, if, if you have a good understanding of it, then it can uh, empower you with the uh, uh, with the cognitive skills that you require to go through life. So I'm, uh, I'm an author of uh, three books, published three books. I'm currently working on my fourth book, which hopefully will be published next year. And uh, I am also passionate about my country, my people, because uh, we all have common roots with Nigeria. And uh, until Nigeria becomes, uh, until the people in Nigeria become liberated uh, in their thinking and in their uh, 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 in, in their in their activities and their doings until they become liberated and then uh, uh, the whole of Africa will not be liberated because we occupy a strategic place in the uh, 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 in, in the affairs of the African nation of the African people and uh, I believe that's yeah, the, the the first the the I believe that's the 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 first step towards actually liberating Africa, uh, uh, empowering Africans begins with empowering Nigerians, and uh, my work has been all of uh, all about that. And I believe that we can still achieve it, irrespective of where we are, what we're doing, and the most important thing is to have that common vision of uh, actually walking towards that. Thank you so much for that. I, I like that. It is important. I think it's also a critical moment uh, today as we, as we currently stand. All right, so I will leave you that to give us a kind of um, uh, a brief preamble of what you see as we prepare for the 2023 election. And because I, I want to repeat it again, this election is going to be very important for us. It, it appears that when you take a sick person uh, to the hospital, uh, this sickness is very critical. Uh, the decision that the doctor take at that moment is very important because maybe if the doctor take a wrong decision or maybe the price is too much, it's something that you cannot pay, you want to take the patient back, it's highly likely that before the person gets home, he might die. So uh, we have suffered a lot. We are almost like patient now in Nigeria. I think uh, somehow the youth, um, have waking up to the point that they understand that there is no time to waste and it is too risky to to be apathetic 
we need to participate. So help me understand what is the um, what is what is your old kind of take uh, as we prepare for 2023 election? Okay, thank you so much uh, for that question. So Nigeria is currently at a crossroads, um, uh, and that crossroads it's a crossroad of uh, there's a monumental shift that is happening in the uh, world. There's a monumental shift that is happening in world order. And actually, this is the basis of my my fourth book that is coming up next uh, coming up uh, next year. The title of the book is Evolve: uh, the uh, the the technology, the uh, evolution and uh, of technology, of uh, socioeconomic progress, and all of that. So, many countries across the world, the 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 the, the is. Uh, currently is witnessing a change in the order of things, in the way we uh, interact with each other, in the kind of technologies that we have, in uh, uh, the way technology impacts our life, and also the policies and the systems that actually transform our lives. So technology is actually transforming the world in a very large way, in a very huge way, at a, at a breakneck space. But the greatest impact the greatest hindrance to this technological transformation that is going on in the world is actually the kind of leadership, the kind of policies that we have, and the kind of leadership that actually prescribes those policies. So Nigeria is at the very crossroad because all the cheats are down. When you look at when you look at all the indices of human development. All the indices of socioeconomic development. Nigeria is at a low in all. So we are actually at a place where all chips are down, and we actually need help in redirecting the country and giving it a new vision and giving it a new direction. So leadership, we cannot emphasize, we cannot overemphasize the uh, the importance of articulated and a competent and visionary leadership at this point. That's what we need in order to, to make that step. And the reason I cited the, uh, the change in world order that is currently happening now, the importance and the importance of the change or, 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 and the relationship that change has with Nigeria is because, like I told you, as I, I said earlier, Nigeria occupies a pivotal role occupies a very important role uh, in in their phase of the African journey and the, Afri uh, uh, the, the African nation or the Africa I like to call it African nation because we all have a common background uh, you know so Nigeria occupies a, a very critical role in that order and because of that critical role that we occupy in that order it's very important that we get our ass right, we get our things right, we get our, 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 our house together. So if we are unable to get our house together, it is hugely gonna impact the rest of the world. So the youth understand this, and uh, they understand that it is not only the fact that we all, that Nigeria has to take on its leadership role in Africa, but also, they also have a responsibility to turn around things, to turn around the narrative and to turn around things so that they can bequeath a better future, a, a better tomorrow to their children. 
because our parents, like I used to like I like to say, our parents failed us. People who give birth to the millennials of today actually failed them by the kind of Africa and the kind of Nigeria that they bequeathed to the millennials. So unlike when you go to other parts of the world, their parents actually bequeathed them, uh, they bequeathed the current uh, 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 millennials today. You know, a world that they can take on, actually give them a world that they can take on and build upon. But that is not the case with Nigeria. So what we were bequeathed was a corrupt uh, 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 and, and a failed system. So that is why you see, you know, young Nigerians, the majority of the youth between the ages of 25 to, uh, uh, to, to 40 struggling, you know, to make it, struggling to find their stance in life, struggling to make their own impact on the world. And then that is why you also see people of 70, 80, still contesting to the president, and still contesting to leave the country. That's because the young people, they failed the young people. So because they failed the young people, they think that the young people are not you know, eager enough are not equipped enough mentally and physically in, 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 in perspective of capacity. They are not equipped enough to take on the leadership role. So they want to rule to death. So that's supposed to show you that's a leadership failure that has happened. And, and then the, the young people, these young people that they that are now that understand this, that have this enlightenment, that have this understanding, are now working hard to save not just the country from the perspective of saving the country and Africa, but actually for them not to repeat the same mistake that their parents made. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting thing from what you said. And as usual, we're going to be taking in one piece at a time. I, I, want to, I want to know if you want to say anything about the changing order like you did say, because of course we are looking at technology and looking at a world that is completely revolutionized and different from the kind of world that we had when I was growing up, for example, I was born in 79. So my own kind of childhood and the childhood of my son today, who was born uh, uh, four or five years ago, is completely different. They are used to technology. Me, I never had any kind of technology. So uh, looking at this kind of world and looking at this kind of changing order, like you refer to it, I don't know where you see us as Nigeria today. Uh, what does it really imply in our lives as Nigerians, as Africans? Okay, thank you so much for that question. So uh, there's a lot unpacked there. So, but let me start this way. Uh, based on uh, the, the thesis of my book that I'm currently working on, it talks about the evolution of uh, the next phase of evolution, technology and progress. And these are three critical areas when it comes to when you're talking about these uh, changing world order that is happening. Uh, there is uh, there's also an interesting book by uh, Ray Dalio where he talked about changing world order, which published this year, and he traced the uh, different epochs uh, in human history and how the world has the uh, uh, the the past the, the the status of world power has. Changed from one country to another, and it's now with the United States. And in his book, he actually projected that it's actually shifting from there. So when you look at all of this equation, the equation of all the analysis that he made, Africa was nowhere to be found. I'll, I'll 
forgotten picture, which is very striking thing. Because when you look in the past, you know, or if you dig into history, you find out that there was actually a time when Egypt was actually a world power. Egypt occupied a very significant place in the world, and many African em um, empires uh, uh, and uh, uh, societies actually occupied a pivotal role in the world. So why is it that Africa has no place in the world and what is actually happening? But this takes you back to the industrial revolutions that are happening in the past. So the first industrial revolution, the second industrial revolution, the first and the second and the third industrial revolution that happened in the world actually saw the world shift from uh, 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 steam power, so from using mechanical tools or from using barely hands, you know, mechanical tools and farming and all of that, then moving to the steam engine. And then from the steam engine, we move to the kind of technologies that we have today. And so we are currently in uh, uh, what many have dubbed the fourth industrial revolution, which is uh, 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 the revolution that is a technological revolution that is driven by uh, internet of things, that is driven by artificial intelligence, that is driven by big data, that is also driven by blockchain technologies and all of these a revolution in biotech, nanotechnology, and all of these things that are actually revolutionizing the world. <clears throat> so it is important that we understand all of these things, how these changes are, 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 are actually occurring. In the past, when the first the, uh, and the second and the third industrial revolution happened, something interesting happened. What actually happened was that during these changes, during the, 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 the changes in these phases, the world, the nature of work was actually different, and the nature of the socio-economic landscape of the world was different in the sense that we moved from a feudal system, a world that was based on a feudal system in the sense where people had to, uh, there was a sovereign that had owned the land, and then he, and, and then the serfs, the people had to work on the land and then pay dues to him. Uh, or, or to her, the, 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 you know, the sovereign. And so this system, this socio-economic landscape actually operated in a way that these people had, these people were subject to the sovereign. And so the relevance of the people, we are, we are based on the people's productivity and manpower. It was powered by their manpower, by their physical manpower. So they had to invest, you know, put in their energy and work and all that to uh, produce something. And so that was how they were, you know, uh, they were settled and they and 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 they were uh, uh, their 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 relevance in the society was judged based on that uh, uh, what they were producing. Now we left that phase and then we entered into the third industrial revolution. You know, we we'll have people now moving from the fields to the factory. And so when people move from the field to the factory, we developed machines that could aid and you know, empower them to do their work. And so we built cities, we started building cities and started developing mechanical technologies to actually aid human labor. You know? And so during this period, the order was also changed in the sense that the relevance of the people actually changed because the leaders and the people who were uh, these uh, 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 leaders who actually controlled the means of production and distribution understood that for the people to be effective and for the people to actually produce and you know contribute to them, 
that they had to produce incentives and they had to produce um, And that is where you now have healthcare system that came up. Those things didn't come up because the government loved the people or those in power or the owners of companies actually loved the people. It actually came up because they needed uh, to incentivize the people to keep working so that they can keep contributing to the system. So we move, and so the, the relevance of the people was based also on what they could do and what they could do with their minds because people started working in offices and we started shifting from you know, manufacturing plants and started working in offices. So it was the intellectual power of the people that actually drove this thing. So this third industrial revolution, this aspect of the world, uh, this uh, um, actually this during this period, that was how the relevance of people were based on this, this factor. Now, we have actually moved on from that phase and we are entering into the, we are now in the fourth industrial revolution. And what is interesting about this fourth industrial revolution is that there's been a lot of automation that has happened when it comes to the kind of work we do. So in the third, in the first, second and the fourth and the third industrial revolution, what was automated was manual labor. In the fourth industrial revolution, we have automated both manual labor and a lot of mental repetitive tasks. A lot of mental repetitive tasks. So that is why you see a lot of activities have been uh, are automated. You see a lot of technologies in place that have automated a lot of things. Now, with this automation going full blown, increasingly you find out that people's role in the system have now started changing. You look at companies today, companies are no longer, a lot of companies are now changing the way they hire professionals. So some companies now you know, prefer to have a lot of remote workers or work with freelancers or, you know, and, and, or work with a hybrid of technology, automated systems, and then with human beings. So you find out that the relevance of the average individual within the system is hugely changing. So let me give you an example of how this is actually, let me, let's bring it down to Africa, or how this is impacting Africa. Now, when it comes to Africa, we talk, there's a lot of talk about unemployment and a lot of, you see it, it's a huge problem in Africa. There's a lot of unemployment going on. And the reason for that is because Africa is still in the third industrial revolution. We are still grappling. It's just trying to automate the system. So it's just, you know, we are in between the fourth industrial revolution and the third industrial, uh, and the third industrial revolution. We're trying to see how we can manage things. And so you see that there's a lot of inefficiency within our systems. And then a lot of these companies that actually hire people, you know, tomorrow people still think that governments actually create jobs when it comes to but when you look at the real way that economies actually work it's not government that creates job government creates enabling environments for companies and the small and medium-sized businesses and huge companies to also come in now to uh, to to actually uh, invest in the economy and actually create the jobs. Now, when these companies that are investing in this economy that are actually the, the, the real people that create the jobs are rapidly leveraging technology to automate their system. So which means they're no longer placing the relevance of having um, too many people within their system. The kind of people that they're now looking for 
the kind of talents and the skills they are now looking for have now shifted hugely from manual level to high-level mental creative tasks or skills, cognitive skills. And so you now find out that when companies metamorphose, now that companies have metamorphosed, are beginning to metamorphose and then entering into this kind of new uh, uh, system of operation, a lot of Africans are disadvantaged. And why are a lot of Africans disadvantaged? Because of the poor educational system in Africa. Because with the level of education, our educational system is not robust enough and doesn't prepare young people and people who go through the system enough in order to be able to become employable or to even become, to have the requisite skills to function in the fourth industrial revolution. And so because of this shortage in skills, especially thinking skills, problem solving skills, because of this shortage in knowledge, you find out that even when they come out, they find it difficult to get jobs, they find it difficult to actually uh, 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 contribute to the economy and in a way that actually solves the problems of that these companies who actually employ people are looking for. So it is a, a problem because when now that this is happening, you see that a lot of restiveness, there's a lot of because of people are not engaged, the energy of productivity has become you know, locked up within them. And so they are looking for a way to express them. So that's why you see there's a lot of insurgency. There's a lot of uh, 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 agitation everywhere because people are looking to express themselves, express them, their creative power. There are three things every economy and every society should do for its people. You should empower the people to learn. You should empower the people to achieve mastery. And it should empower the people to actually express their creativity, express what they have learned. So ability to learn, ability to achieve, attain mastery, to become, and ability to express that which you have learned. In all of the, in these three important things, these three important functions of a sustainable environment, Nigeria, as the case may be, has failed in each in each and every in, in each of these three levels, and that is why you see the uh, agitations that a lot of things that are happening. Now, the danger with all of these things is that as these things are happening, the world is actually leaving us behind. This changing world order is radically transforming, and artificial intelligence it's radically transforming and usurping the roles of majority of the works that people. Now, the people that are supposed to do these things are busy agitating, are, are, you know, are struggling, they are, they, are, they, are, they are restive and they are not in, being empowered. So if we continue with the current state of affairs, where the world is leaving us behind with a lot of these emerging technologies that are coming on board that are transforming the way we operate and the fundamental ways that we do things, we do business and that we conduct our lives as human beings. As these technologies continue to transform and change these things, and then there is this huge population in Africa and in Nigeria, huge young population that are not harnessed, two things is going to happen. The world is going to leave us behind. Technology will leave us behind, will leap forward. And then this huge population that are supposed to be a productive population that will invest in the economy with their minds, which is the greatest asset human beings have. 
they're going to turn and become actually a source of disaster instead of a source of productivity and a source of wealth. So this is the problem that we are witnessing. I know I took it. I, I took so no, 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 no. It's perfectly fine. It's uh, it falling. It's falling. It's very important because this is uh, what we are talking about. We will never uh, finish to talk about it uh, because I, when you were explaining even the, the previous question before, when you were explaining it, you didn't mention the fact that um, um, sometimes they did not equip, okay, they in this sense mean the Nigerian government did not equip the, the youth because this we can see now is almost intentional. No? Either they like to have the mumu that they can continue to mumu around them, but they, they don't understand yet that they are cheating themselves. Because if you have an army of people that you refuse to equip, is, is they are going to turn back to you because they are not able to reach their enemy. Now you become their enemy. They are going to reach you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think many people still believe in Nigeria that they are going to be able to hide. No, you cannot hide. Of course. It's just because the people haven't yet got enough frustration. By the mm -hmm. time they get enough frustration and they are marching to you, you and the bullet that you have will not be able to withstand the people. Exactly. So for the good of you and the good of the people, give them what you are stealing from them. Exactly. Let everybody have access to this life. We can live quality life in Nigeria. Exactly. A good example would be, why would a functioning government allow ASU to be on strike all these months? How would they, How do we justify this? Mm. Yeah, you know it's it's really terrible because okay, I was speaking in a Twitter space yesterday that was hosted by Nigerian influencer. They asked me questions on uh, uh, the role of uh, you know the ASU strike that is actually happening, and it's because it's it's very pathetic and uh, very embarrassing and very terrible to see that in twenty in two thousand and twenty two. The age where, if you watch science fiction movies that were, you know, premiered in 2000 and 2019, the, the projected 2022 as the height of human technological, you know, ascent, the human technological progress. And so in 2022, at the height of human technological progress, <laughs> you still find that people are taking away the very thing, the very fundamental basis for human progress. The very fundamental basis for human progress. And that is education. So if, and especially, and this, and, and this is especially people who are in higher, the most, that, that the, the people they are denying this are the people that are at the peak of their youth. That's the productive peak of people's youthfulness. So that is the, that is at the stage where some where human beings, the typical human being is at his productive peak within your community. So if you take someone like that and put them and then lift them aside and then allow the system to be flowed by all of this nonsense and then you take the asset to court and try to force people to go back to court, very preposterous how you try to force someone to teach because teaching is, 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 a, is a leadership. It's leadership. It's something that is done by conscience. It's not something that is done through. You can't even compel someone to teach because when I'm impacting knowledge, 
to you, if, if I'm forced to impact knowledge to you, I'm going to impact the wrong knowledge. Get the point. So it's not so you can't even force someone to, 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 to impact knowledge. So it's that, that's it, it, it. That's to tell you how terrible they are. So, and what I said to them that yesterday was that, you know, it's difficult. It's, 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 a, it's very, it's not surprising to see a government, to see people who will go to, who will send their children abroad to study and then look at those here, the ones that are still in Nigeria and actually rob them of their right to education. Education is a human right. It's a fundamental human right. In the same way you have the right to live, the right to freedom of association, you have the right to be educated, to seek knowledge and to empower yourself because it's a fundamental human right. So what they are actually committing, what the government, the government should actually be sued for breaching one of the core fundamental human rights of Nigerian citizens, of the youth. But people don't understand the level of damage that has been happened. Because these guys, they came from the pandemic. We had the schools were practically shut down. And immediately they got back to class as we went on strike. So it becomes a very terrible thing. And I was telling them yesterday in that interview that, first of all, when it comes to the funding pattern, the, 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 the very structure of Nigerian tertiary education is flawed in and of itself. Because if you go to other developed climes, you find out that the government has minimal, the role of the government when it comes to education is regulation. It's not, they don't invest, they don't actually, uh, they're not hugely invested when it comes to uh, 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 funding educational assistance. Why? Because the government is a monopoly, one, and a monopoly cannot think well about the future. If a monopoly cannot actually curate a better future. Yes, you can bring in leadership, you know, as a leader, you can come in and then create a leader, but as a monopoly, you cannot actually uh, manage education. It is best left in the hands of the private sector, in the hands of companies and people. Uh, our tertiary education should be funded in the way research and development is funded. That's what happens in the United States. That's You see the likes of Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Those are funded by private. They are actually funded as a company so that that actually improves productivity of the system because these are research institutes. The Stanford's and the Harvard's of this world, these are their research. These are the place where you cook the resources that you use to develop the society, your country. It's in the institutions. In the, in, uh, that's where you do that. But because, and this goes back to the thing I told you about our parents, the parents of the millennials failing them. Because these people do not understand, first, they don't even understand what education is. I mean, you look at it, the head of the government. The current government in Nigeria today doesn't even have a common certificate. Like you can't, so you can't say that this person benefited from the normal educational system. So when someone, when so when he's acting the way he's acting, and when his government is acting, we are not surprised that they're acting that way. But the thing is, the people still within that system the people in the ministries, the people in the parastatals, some of them, I believe, most of them, 
should understand the, the gravity of what is happening. It is not just a national embarrassment that also has been on strike, but it's, 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 a, it's a, this is actually a working time bomb that we are playing with. It's a working time bomb that we are playing with. And the solution, I think, is for the government to restructure the educational system, especially the tertiary educational system, to restructure it to allow for the kind of the kind of innovation that is happening in Nigerian fintech industry, in the Nigerian financial sector, to happen in the education sector. And what's that innovation that is happening there? You look at the Nigerian financial sector, you find out that there's the government tried to decentralize it and then allow for a lot of players into the system and so you see there's a lot of fintech industries companies springing up that have become even more successful and valuable than the traditional behemoths and uh, uh, old traditional banks that we have today the likes of facebook and all of that so you see a new uh, fintech in, in companies coming up experimenting with a lot of stuff uh, experimenting with a lot of technologies and improving the system the likes of cuda the likes of uh, uh, piggyverse the likes of you know flutterwave most of these other fintech these are small companies you know fintech companies coming up they're experimenting and they're innovating in the system to try to improve on it that is the kind of decentralization that is the kind of uh, uh, uh restructuring that's supposed to happen in the education system so that a lot of people can come in and use edtech you know the new technologies that are coming in place to actually liberalize the sector and to try to you know, or, you know or revitalize the sector. I tried something in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, you know, tried you know, platforms that will allow for young students or young people to get their education online and study and access education. You know, I tried it back then, but because of you know, lack of financial resources, couldn't continue that. During that pandemic, there was a turn. What was the time? If, if, if we had, if I had access to, you know, you know financial resources or instruments that were incented by the government to actually continue that project, would have got a long way. And in the course of my research, I found that there are a lot of companies, there are a lot of small businesses that have already started then, a lot of startups that have already started then that actually are working on the same kind of solution that was trying to bring it into the educational system. Most of them have actually faded up. Some of them have gone bankrupt. Some of them did not succeed. Why? Because the government is not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not coming in to allow to decentralize the system and then to fund these startups to actually drive the innovation that is needed. So, take for example, all through this period of ASO strike, if we had uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, startups that are edtech startups. That were actually in place that would allow for these students to move their education from these traditional brick and mortar institutions and to move their programs to online based education. And then the government provide incentives like laptops and technology and gadgets for these students to continue their education. And then at the end, they still get certified uh, 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 certificates, you know, since that's what people like, that will allow them to actually go into the economy. So you find out that the system will be decentralized. A lot of our lecturers that are basing their only their source of income from what uh, the government pays them at the end of the month, 
can actually transition and actually play a, uh, a, a double play uh, system here. They can be uh, teaching in their, have their lecturing jobs in the brick and mortar institutions and also be teaching in these you know, uh, 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 online uh, edtech uh, platforms and offer their courses there. And so students can have the access to these technologies, access to these things and actually continue their education and have access to these uh, technologies. So you, you look at uh, access to this education. So you look at what is happening in uh, uh, the market today, in, 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 in the job market today. You know, top companies in the world, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, you find out that most of these companies are no longer basing their employment criteria on certificates. They're not basing their employment criteria on certificates. They're actually basing them on actually the practical skills that you have and what and the problems that you can solve. And they are actually leveraging a lot of freelancers. And then you go to YouTube, you find out that YouTube, I dare tell people, I dare say, YouTube is the biggest educational resource platform in the world. You can practically learn anything on those platforms. So why not the government keep in and allow for this decentralization and this innovation to go forward. So if these students, if, 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 if you conduct your, have your studies online, don't necessarily go to a big institute in order to be certified to get jobs in most of the companies. It's the one that, like we talked about earlier, about the transition that is happening in the world, all the high companies are now focusing on people who can actually solve problems, who can think clearly, and who have you know, great cognitive skills. So if you can train yourself in these areas, if can, we can provide systems, allow for innovation to happen within the um, edtech ecosystem, within the edtech sector of Nigeria, a lot of these problems that we're talking about will go away. But why are we not able to do this? That brings us to the question of 2023, and that brings us to the question of leadership. When you have a leadership that lacks vision, when you have a leadership that does not understand where the world is going, that does not understand the changes that are happening in the world and where the world is headed, they cannot see the changes that are happening and actually leverage on it. When you have a government that actually bans Twitter, the source of technology, the source of information, where people get information to actually transform their lives. So you, the, a, a government that places a ban on blockchain, next-gen technologies uh, uh, that are revolutionizing things, places a ban on cryptocurrencies. When you have a government that makes such preposterous and backward-thinking policies, so you can rest assured that they cannot even highlight, identify the changes that are happening within the uh, uh, ecosystems or, or within these new emerging ecosystems and actually leverage them to solve the problems that we have today. So the, the problem with the ASU issue is not a problem of financial resources that the government does not have money. It's a problem of lack of leadership and lack of insights, ability to think through problems. That is what is happening at that level. The problem of Nigeria, actually, let me not call it a problem. The situation of Nigeria, any angle that you open, it looks like in itself uh, an ocean because it's, it's so catastrophic as it were, no? Because I, I think uh, what the guys there in Aso Rock are doing, and of course, some of them that are within the state, but it's not only Aso Rock that is running Nigeria. But I, I believe they think 
that everybody is blind. So let's everybody just be doing mugu, 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 mugu inside a small hole. But it's not helping us. We can see that it's not helping us. Now, a good example. Uh, you said you did make mention of monopoly, which is actually the situation there in Nigeria. The federal government of Nigeria, even though they are incapable of running businesses, they want to be in charge of everything. Yes. A good example, power generation. Mm. Why should the federal government of Nigeria saddle itself with this responsibility of generating electricity for the entire country where they have tried it several years, it hasn't worked? Why can't they just decentralize it? Ask each state. Do you want to be in the dark or need light? Go ahead and generate it. You collect the revenue, you pay tax to the government, to the federal government. What about security? Today, everybody is afraid in the country because we, we don't know what is happening. Why can't we, like it happened in many other parts of the world, let the state have their own police? You want to be secure? Of course, the federal police can still be running because the federal is not running in the air. They are still on the land. If one federal police is going to police the entire country, how are you going to do it? First of all, you don't even understand the language of the local people because how they do is that they have some police officer from the south. They mm. say they to the north to work, mm. which in itself is not even a bad idea because we are trying to integrate. Mm. Okay, but do you really understand the geography of the reasoning? Of these people, do you understand when they say something that that is not exactly what they mean? Are you able to detect really what is happening? Because in many other clients, the local, the regional, and the federal, all of them are working together. Why can't we do the same in Nigeria? I think all this one go back to the same question. Do they are we going to a direction? Do we have an objective? Are we going somewhere? Because if we don't know that we are going somewhere, then it doesn't matter. Let's just be running. We're roaming around in the same place because, after all, we are not going anywhere. I believe that many Nigerians are now aware of all this basic thing that we want the government to do. Mm. If this is true, how do you look at the candidates that we have? In that, are they are we going to recycle the same thing? Do we have anything new? Are we aware of what is going on, or are we just dreaming? Let me buy your take on the candidate that we have for 2023. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for that question. A couple of weeks back, uh, a couple of weeks back, I wrote an article on the, on the obedient movement, and um, uh, I know the reason why I wanted to start at that. And uh, in that article, I, I postulated, I borrowed an analogy from uh, the the science of uh, intelligence, because uh, when you look at uh, the the study of uh, intelligence and uh, you know a lot of scholars in, in in actually in the in the study of intelligence the the a lot of scholars came to uh, a notion or a, a phenomenon that what is called substrate intelligence and that's the proposition that intelligence in and of itself is not is not uh, 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 is not uh, how will I put it now it's not um is not domiciled with a particular thing. It's not domiciled, it's not uh, 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 predicated, uh, naturally speaking, uh, with a particular substance or thing. 
but it's actually a substrate independent quality, a substrate, in, substrate independent uh, capability. Um, the, the, the reason for that, and then when you look at what is actually happening in Nigeria uh, uh, with the current election that is coming up and what has happened in the past, what is happening can also be described from the lens of how intelligence is described. So how is it? Before now, you look at ever since about uh, uh, for a long period of time, Nigeria has suffered from one agitation to another. At each time in Nigeria's history of faith, time to find out that people are always agitating for one thing or the other. Order. If you look at the level of the, uh, the agitation, you see that it appears seems that this the momentum of agitation keeps growing as the years go by. So you look at uh, uh, the level of agitation that we have uh, immediately after the British colonial rule. During the British colonial rule, we had agitation for the nationalist government. After that, we had agitation that happened. You know, that happened uh, between the different groups that came up to the country and then they wanted to go to separate sides and then you have the agitation that led to the Biafra war and all of that subsided. But after the Biafra war, the injustice and the, uh, uh, the, 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 the problems within the Nigerian system continue to uh, fester. And as they continue to fester, the condition of Nigeria continues to degenerate and then you saw a resurgitation, a resurgence of that agitation coming up and it continued to grow gradually. And then you see that agitation manifested in uh, what came to become Boko Haram today. It started in 2009. You know, that came as, as some kind of a form of agitation by the uh, Abubakar, the guy that actually started the program, I think in 2009 or so, an agitation. And the reason we started with agitation, Boys Bank, what we said about when you have a youth that wants to express his creativity, express himself, but the system has frustrated it and made it impossible for him to do that. And then he found a way to channel that. And that led to what actually manifested to Boko Haram today. You see the same agitation. It started happening with the Biafra, you know, with, uh, and then with a resurgence of Nande Carlo when he came up and started speaking the same thing. And now you find out that the whole thing that happened with Nande Carlo and the Biafra stuff is today is in custody. You know, it continued happening and then Nandekala was apprehended and put in prison and we thought it was over. And then the other guy that's conversing for Ududua Republic, you know, he, he came up with his own agitation. Uh, you know, in, and in the midst of all of this, then Shorey also came up with the revolution now, you know, agitation for that. And so they clamped him down, you know, clamped these people down. And then you look at, if you look at all this agitation, you find that there is a common theme that runs are, are, around all of them. It is a common theme. These people are not asking for anything different. They are asking for access to resources. They are asking for the basic amenities of life. They're asking for those basic things that make life meaningful in a human society. That is what they are agitating for. So they might be agitating from they might be looking at different, you know, uh, 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 parts when it comes to we want what they uh, what they want well, uh, where they are going. Uh, this one says I want Biafra. The other one says I want a new Nigeria. Another one says I want Duduwa Republic. But all of them are looking are still the underlying reason, cause 
that is on that is underpinning their agitations has been the same pain. And that is at their core is the common pain that Nigerians feel with the state of affairs in the country. That is the common pain. And so you saw, and you saw the, that the, all of these agitations came up, the culmination of all of this agitation came during the NSAS protest. And so that was when you saw that agitation come to its, bring to Isbom, come to Isbom, and you see that it is the same strategy that the government used the guy uh, uh, Sunday and his agitation of Oduduwa uh, uh, in fighting the Biafrans, in fighting it is the same strategy shoot at them and kill them. It's the same strategy that was used in fighting them, that was the whole thing that was used at the entrance. So you find out what is underscoring all of these agitations at their core has been that lack of the pain, the common pain that the online Nigerian feels with the, this, the, 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 the state of affairs within the country. That is the common thing that is underlying it. And so you find that, that after this, after the agitation of the NSAS protest was called down by you know, the brutal killing of those people in you know, 2024, the youths were called back. And that agitation, that anger, that pain, all summarized in an idea. The idea that Nigerians need to be liberated still continue to boil within. And you see that now manifesting in this election that is coming up. You see it's resurgitating itself in this election that is coming up. So it's a common idea. That's the point I'm trying to make, that the idea that is going around with all of these uh, movements, the obedience movement, it is simply a rehashing. And that's why you see some people, they call, they say the obedience movement is IPOP, is Biafra, because the guy is, you know, uh, uh, Igbo, P2B is Igbo and all of that, because it has all of the characteristics. Some say that it is from those who conducted the NSAS that are doing it. Some say it's Biafra, some say it's uh, IPOP. Sorry, a lot of things. The reason is because it is the same idea that, is, that has driven all the agitations from Boko Haram to Entas. It is the same idea that is doing this. And I'm saying that this idea is substrate. And by what I mean by substrating, then that it is not about Nandekano. The idea is not about Nandekano. It's not about Boko Haram. It's not about Showare. It is not about Sunday Boho. It is not even about the actors, the chief actors during the NSAS protest. And that is why you see some of those who actually were chief actors during the NSAS protest have, have turned enemy of the people now because it's not about them. The idea is substrate independent. It's not, it's not dependent on any substrate. Nandekalu, Ipo, the Duduwa Republic, all of those things, they are simply substrate. Idea, which is the common pain that Nigerians feel, is independent on all of this. And so, what the idea is actually looking for is an, a place where it can, an individual where it can actually impinge itself upon that will be, have the character, the integrity, 
intensity of character to actually drive that idea that it's that's the idea for a new revolution driven by the pain common pain and endurance are, are, are going through the individual that can drive that and use it to turn around nigeria and that is what i see that is happening now how does that relate to the candidates that are election that are actually the three candidates that are actually involved here the three major candidates are we have P2B of the Labour Party, we have Bola Ahmed Tunibu of APC, and we have Atiku Abubakar. These are the three major candidates that are up for the thing. And you look at all of these candidates. So how do you analyze it? When you look at all of these candidates and you look at the current position of Nigeria, you find out that, and I'm gonna relate this with this idea that I told you that is substrate independent. It's coming up. You find out that up until now, the common Nigerians have had an apathy, some kind of a, a huge proportion of Nigerians have had some kind of apathy when it comes to Nigerian politics. You understand that, especially the youth, the millennials, the especially the millennials, they have that kind of huge apathy when it comes to election. And the reason behind that is because they believe that. The government doesn't care about them, that the, the society, the, the government, that the, the, the Nigerian, the Nigerian story doesn't actually reflect their life. It actually doesn't actually reflect their pains and their concerns. And so there's no need in participating in it. But the thing that happened, the thing that all of that changed during the NSAS protest. And how did it change? Why did it change during the NSAS protest? During the NSAS protest, what are the what the NSAS, that period, the NSAS protest was the culmination of a time where a young boy who thought his parents did not care about him came to the aid of reasoning and wanted to manifest himself. I'm now going back to that idea where I told you that three things the society was giving the people. The final thing is that ability to express themselves, express their creativity and express themselves. So these young people have come to a point where they need to express themselves in the Nigerian system, but the ecosystem is so suffocating, it's so stuffy that they cannot express themselves. So these old uh, generations that have disappointed them are still holding on to power and still pressing their neck down on the floor. So they want to express themselves, they're not doing that. And then you see that manifested because, like I told you about the revolution that is happening in the world order, it, technological revolution that is happening in the world. You find out that these young people actually lashed upon this technology. When, when they looked at the Nigerian ecosystem and find that the Nigerian system was not giving them what they needed when it comes to jobs, when it comes to resources, they saw that for the online world and they started you know, you know, applying, their, applying, applying their trades over there. And so you find out that there was a clampdown through the police, you know, that every guy that has a laptop and is living, you know, is a Yahoo person, you know, is a scammer. And, and so that clampdown came. So the NSAS was a frustration of all of that. So they wanted to express themselves. So they were like, we wanted to express themselves. Uh, we wanted to express ourselves in this society. And you made this in society, the society inhabitable and inhospitable for us. And then we'll search for the online world using the technology revolution that has happened. And you still want to press us down. We will not allow this. We will fight against this. So it came at the culmination with the NSAS protest. That was the, 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 the critical mass of all of these things that came up. 
And so when they tried to do that and then they were killed, they were met with the same attitude, with the same response that all agitations in Nigeria have been met from, right from the Biafran war to now, the same method, which is by killing them. They now understood that we have come to the age of tourism. We have come to the age of consciousness and it's time for us to take back our country. And that same idea that the substrate independent method force from Biafra, from Udidua, the search for Udidua, from revolution now, from NSARS to the obedient movement. And so why did it find itself in the obedience movement? So let me now tell you why it found itself in the obedience movement. That is the message of Peter Obuse. Before now, all the candidates, like I was, like I told you, all the political parties and all of them, Nigerians had this apathy because all the politicians that came on the scene did not bear a message that resonated with the needs of they didn't come with a message that resonated with the needs of the people. And so the, 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 the young people felt that apathy towards the Nigerian system. But for the first time in the history of Nigeria, you have someone who has come up with a new narrative, a narrative that actually is the total opposite for the very thing, the very underpinning of Nigerian politics. Find out that all, before now, the, the, it has been the game that it has been the, the, the narrative that Nigerian politics is a dirty game. Politics is a dirty game. That before, for you to go into politics, that you need to have a lot of money, and you need to know a lot of people. And you need to... So it was a game of who would out-corrupt each other, who would become more incompetent and more corrupt than the other person. That was, it was actually, corruption was actually rewarded. But for the first time, you have an individual that came with a new message that came with a new message that was based on competence, a new message that was based on integrity, a new message that was based on financial prudence, who actually paraded himself as someone who does not take salary, who does not, who does not uh, steal from the public treasury, which is unheard of. And that is why you see the political class, they're socially against him because he's a totally new breed from what the old class used to be. Who actually is, uh, uh, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, so who is actually parading himself with that new message that you have to move the country from consumption to production. So you have to, you know, there's a, it's a totally new message that is driving a new narrative. And that is why that idea that is substance independent, that is looking to alleviate the pain of Nigerians, that is looking for a new Nigeria, was able to imping itself just like you have a parasite to pong itself on that person because it was looking for a new narrative. And so it turned into the obedient movement. So for the first time, never again in Nigeria, in the history of Nigerian politics, would you see the candidates now coming up and they are being assessed, truly assessed by their competence. So we are now pointing to so look at what he did in his state. They now say, okay, uh, if you say your candidate is better, Let's show a list of what the things he have been able to achieve. Let's show a list of, of what actually shows that he has integrity. We are now judging candidates based on their moral character. This is something that has never been done in Nigerian politics. So at a point, people lost faith in the Nigerian system that it was nothing of, because Nigeria actually lost the culture of moral rectitude, of moral integrity. We actually lost it. 
So for the first time, this is someone that is bringing up a new message. And that is why you see that pain that is summarized in that idea transformed itself. And you see it in the slogans that are coming up. You know, they give shit. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, go and verify. Go and verify, meaning that you have to match what you do with what you say. You see, that is that new message that is coming on. I think uh, uh, that is what P2B is bringing on board. As for the other candidates, Atiku and, uh, yeah, of course, these are people, you look at their message, if they have one, because I've not seen any message. I've not seen the core of their message, but you look at their messages and you find out that- I remember I see why I don't um, put that one in so, uh, so that you also know that there is a message. This message is coming from Ahmed Tinubu. Uh, I've said it here also a couple of times. Is that he's telling Nigerians to vote for him so that they will give their Ewa and Idodo. So you, you <laughs> must make sure you remember that message. Please go. <laughs> no, so, you see, it, it's laughable, no? Because yes. I think this is an insult. It should be an insult to the Nigerian people yes. that I, your employer, because the Nigerian people are the employer of their politicians. They are paying them to do their service. Mm -hmm. So now you are promising them to give their Idodo and Ewa to mm. vote for you. Yes. That is an insult. So that's to tell you that that's 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 part of that narrative that has actually characterized the Nigerian politics up until now. So because in the past it used to be vote for me because I'm your brother, I'm the, from the same village. It, it doesn't matter whether I have the ability to deliver or not, the ability to lead. It doesn't matter. Vote for me because I'm from your village. Vote for me because I'm going to give you money to eat. So I impoverish you to the point that you become so second and so hungry. As you can't think again, and that if I give you Ewa and Dodo, you are going to vote for me. So that has been the message. But you, here you see someone for the first time coming in on board and saying, I'm not going to give you a dime, but I am going to show you what I have done. And I am going to promise you that if you vote for me, I will repeat this thing that I've done in the past. It has never been the criteria for leadership for choosing of the uh, for, uh, for 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 selecting leaders in this country, and that is why it's a new revolution. It's coming as a new revolution. So time will tell whether it's this revolution will materialize uh, as something being be successful. But I fear that if it doesn't materialize, the Nigerian states, the Nigerian states, or the Nigerian country, as you may put it, might implode from within before. I, I think if the people stand on it, it's going to work. There is nothing stopping it. Yes. I think in 2005, there was a, a film that was done in the UK. And this film is titled V for Vedetta. Uh, so this film is very important. It's very interesting. Um, because the film, of course, exposed the corruption of the, the English government. Mm. Uh, until a point, uh, the guy, the, the guy with the guy's force, of course, you know, when there is uh, doing a protest now, the, 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 the face that people usually use, no? Mm. He managed to mobilize the people. It took them one year to be able to mobilize the people. Mm. But when they actually stood up, the people of England stood up against their government, mm. they overrun their all. Of that is, those, they, they didn't come with arms. They didn't come with machine gun. They only mm. come be present, just be there. Those yes. that have gone run away. In a, in a, that is a real life example of this. In Sri Lanka, a couple of uh, months ago or weeks ago. I saw that. Mm. So, which means 
that if the Nigerian people are ready, Assess, of course, no arm um, and ammunition is going to withstand them. Exactly. Exactly. So I want you to tell me about this possibility that that we have because you see I don't know if you see the match that took place in Abuja, a couple of uh, was it yesterday or a couple of days ago? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Yes. Mm. Okay, it took place also in the north. It took place in Edo State. Mm -hmm. This is something uncommon. It has never happened before. Yes. So I, I know politics comes so that can be very complex because it's not everything that we know. But of course, we are speaking from what we see. Of course. Speaking mm. from this thing that we see, what, what are the chances? What chances do we have? Because now, I interview one, one representative who is also contesting to become a member of House of Assembly in Edo State. Mm. And he told me something important, that the party under which he is standing, which is Labour Party, have become mm. popular, not because of the party itself, but because of Peter Obi. People are not really interested in which party you come from. What do you represent? What are you offering the people of this country? Because we are dying need of a good leader. So what chances do we have? Yeah, so the, uh, we have a 100% chance and a 0% chance at the same time. So what do I mean by that? We have a 100% chance from the perspective of what the example you just uh, enumerated with the movie and what happened in Sri Lanka and, uh, in, the, and uh, in other parts of the world. Every society goes through a period of revolution. Like I told you, a changing world order. And a changing world order happens on two fronts. It happens first internally, and then it happens externally. The one I explained during the earlier part of our discussion was the external changing world order that is happening. But for external changing world order to occur, there has to be an internal changing world order. It has to be an internal change of the order. And that is why I told you that Nigeria occupies a pivotal role when it comes to a uh, its role when it comes to Africa, when it comes to the chances of Africa rising again. Um, but in Africa, cannot rise again. And then we are talking about the change that will come from Africa. We're talking about the external order. The external order of change that we're looking to happen in Africa will not happen until the internal order, the internal changing order. Until there's an internal change within the Nigerian system. And so, why do I say this? The reason I'm pointing to this is for an order to change, the people will have to get to the brink, to the peak of their pain, where they say enough is enough. Where it is, is either you change or you die. A lot of countries went through this phase. That's what happened with the French Revolution. That's what happened. Even it was actually what happened in Germany before the emergence of the Nazi party. It happened in many countries. That's what happened in the American Revolution. So you came to the point whereby it couldn't get worse than this. Like there was no, it, it can't get worse than this. So the only thing is death. Like it's even worse than death. And I think Nigeria has gotten to that point. But I don't know whether Nigerians know if they have gotten to that point. So now, but, um, but what, what I can say is the majority of the young people in Nigeria have gotten to that point. And I can say for our parents and the older generation, the generation I told you that actually plunged the country into poverty. But I can say that for the young millennials and the generation Z, they have gotten to that point where it's on their neck. And then 
there is this narrative that you know when the campaign started and people started throwing around and that is the narrative of uh labor party has no structure and structure that and structure that and all of that and i told people in a twitter space that i participated where we were discussing this until they asked me about the question of uh structure and i told them that the greatest structure that you can have is the people which is what's uh, uh, no, many people have alluded to that. Even uh, Peter B has alluded to that. The greatest structure is the people, and the greatest motivation that will drive the people to action is their current reality. And if you look at the current reality of Nigeria, from all fronts, it's so bad. It's so bad, and it's so it's so it, it has gotten to a place that we cannot take it any longer. And that is the greatest motivation to mobilize. And it is the people who understand their condition that can actually drive the change that is needed. And that is why you see people are mobilizing themselves. The same thing, the same strategy that they used during the NSAS protest. People mobilized, people sent funds, people did a lot of things and they're trying to change the system. That is the same force that they are now channeling to this. And so you look at any system that comes to its point of this ultimate point of sustenance, that it cannot sustain itself again. What is to happen is either it implodes, it can implode in two ways. That can be, and, and this is what I told some people during the NSAS protests, that revolutions happen in two ways, that you can have a bloody revolution or a peaceful revolution or a bloodless revolution. Not peaceful. There's no such thing as a peaceful revolution. Uh, it has to be violent. So, but it can be bloody or it can be bloodless. So, what what tried to happen during the NSAS protests could not happen because it was quelled. People were shot. Now, that revolution is trying to happen again, just through through, uh, through but but through the democratic means. But it still has to be forceful. The Nigerian youth has to be still forceful enough, like they used to say, violent enough, you know, to drive and push through their change. Because the people who are holding the gaps of this power, who want to keep the country subjugated and in poverty and penury, are holding, they have a lot of resources at their disposal. So if you want to break it down, you have to be violent revolution that you're going to use. So the youth would need to actually mobilize themselves and become even more violent in the approach when it comes to attacking the system. They have to hold INEC accountable so that even the, the people in INEC will know that if they don't conduct a free and fair election, that their lives, practically their lives are at stake. But you can't even survive it. Because you look at it from all ends, Nigeria, it's... It's at, it just is more than at the keg of a gunpowder because you see, see president, the, the last time the president's convoy was shot, shot at, was attacked. So you can tell that nobody is safe. Nobody is practically safe. Anybody can die at any moment. So when you come to that stage, so we are, we are currently in a state of what Thomas Hoff called, calls, you know, that's, you know, a, a, a state of chaos of disorder. So it can't get any worse than this. So, but what the youth need to do is that they need to violently organize, they need to organize themselves. 
strategically, and then they need to use a more violent approach and force in order to push through the system. When you say violent, what exactly do you do you mean? Like they should start destroying or start resisting with all with all seriousness? I want you to be specific on that. So when I say violence, like I said in the past, all revolutions that happen in the world, all of them we are violent. So and there are two kinds of violent revolution. There can be blood, a bloody violence, a bloody revolution, or a bloodless violent revolution. But on itself, it has to be violent. The violence comes with you being able to outmaneuver, outpower, because it is outpower the opposition, because the opposition is violent in its own approach. You see what is going to happen in the elections. You see what happened in the past. They will send out talks. The, so, the talks will not come peacefully. They will come with violence, true or false. They will come with violence. So for you to actually vote and defend your vote, you have to be more violent than the talks in order to tell them that if you can't do this, it's no longer acceptable, right? When the NSAS protests happened, how did the government stop it, the movement? Through violence. So if you're more violent than them, you tell them you can, this cannot happen. So the violence has to be intellectual violence. It has to be Spiritual violence, when it comes to conspiring, a source of meaning that everybody will come together to be, so that it's even a crime for you not to be with the movement. That there's no place for you if you're not with the movement that is going around. So it has to be spiritual violence. It has to be economic violence, so which people have to violently invest, pulling resources and funds to do that. Then it has to also be physical violence. When it comes, when I say physical violence, we have people have to come out in their mass, like what is happening with the one million match. It has to become even more, more forceful. The force behind it has to be more forceful that when the people stand before the INEC, before INEC, before the government, the people, the, the, the people who want to rig the system, we have the courage to do that. So that is the violence I'm talking about. It is a violence that comes from all fronts. And if it comes to the point that even the people have to resist evil, then you should fight and resist evil. Because check, no person on earth, no nation, whether it's a nation or a people or a race, has achieved their freedom without fighting violently to defend it, because freedom is not given, it is taken. Thank you so much for that. that, that that's really very important to, to understand. Uh, in the, if you, 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 cannot, you cannot fight laughing. It is not possible, though. And if we say fight for it, it means fight for it. Fight means fight. And the history... Is, and yeah, yeah. Because when, when, when we say violence, people say, oh, don't violence, you are, you are saying this thing, you want to cause chaos in the society and all of that. The society is already in a mess, something more worse than chaos. So it cannot be more chaotic like, like than it is right currently. That's first of all. Now, the second is when you say that people say, oh, don't say about violence. But the truth is that when you're fighting for the just cause, you can't have peace without war. You understand? So when you're fighting for a just cause, the oppressor wants the state of affairs that is on its own chaotic and dangerous because there's nothing more violent than a student sitting at home 
and being deprived for his fundamental human rights of education for over a year, for almost a year now. There's nothing more intellectually violent and more dehumanizing than that. It can't get any more violent than that. True or false? <laughs> it's obvious. Yes. It's obvious. So if it comes to that, so for the student, students now started calling for as to strike as well, they start calling for protests. Is when you now start protesting and say, Give me my rights, give me my rights. That is when people will start listening to you. If you keep quiet, everybody will keep quiet. So that tells you in all of history, in, in life generally, if you don't fight, once you know that you're on the right path, when violence is, when, when we say that violence, when violence is reprimanded, or when we say people don't go into violence, is when you are not fighting for a just cause when you are on the wrong side of history. But when you're on the right side of history, you have to fight for what is right. That is what Nelson Mandela did. That's what Martin Luther did. That's what the founding fathers of uh, the United States of America did. That is what even every country that suffered independence, that's what they did. And if you have to, if you have, to have the freedom we look for, we have to use the same. If, in fact, I was listening to, uh, to a speech by um... Omoyole uh, so worried uh, this morning, uh, actually, uh, where he says something that I, uh, of course, I agree with a lot of things that he said, but I particularly agree with this one in line with also what you're saying, that the reason why the ASO strike continues to remain like this is because the Nigerian student has a come to the street and said, and demand for something. Because, if they come, because, you know, you remember during military regime, the Nigerian students are on streets. Every time, yeah. Uh, because if you want to kill me, what I what okay, I'm going to die anyway. So what is it? What is it? We are going to die for this country. Of course. Because power speaks to nothing else other no. than another power. Yes, God, that's certain. So if the imagine say maybe the Nigerian student have blocked the street and say, We are not going to school, nothing happens in this country. Mm -hmm. Asso will respond. At least within one week, they will respond. Of course. But if everybody is we are tranquil, we are okay. Hey, okay, I saw this on strike. I saw this on strike. They are denying you mm -hmm. the right to education. They, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Yes. What are you going to do about it? Yes. All right. Uh, you said something very important before that uh, Nigeria occupies a critical position in Africa. Uh, that is not to be taken lightly. That is very important. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Yes. Yeah, so I. Uh, you know, we, we like to say that Nigeria is the giant of Africa and all of that. So, so but uh, um, uh, when you look at it, you know, from all parameters that you use to judge, you know, whether it's from the largest population, Nigeria has the largest, the largest concentration of black population in the world. So that goes to show you, and with that population comes economic manpower. Comes manpower for development for a lot of things. It occupies a huge role when it comes economically. If harnessed, Nigeria occupies a huge economic uh, uh, role in that. When it comes to leadership, Nigeria is leading in many fronts when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to the movie industry, when it comes to many areas. Even in technology, you look at fintech, Nigeria is also leading in that area. It's actually pioneering a lot of revolutions in that area. But what is drawing it back? You, you can't go farther than the leadership, the internal leadership within the country. So if the internal leadership is bad, 
the external leadership will also be on, uh, or, or, you know, will be unstable. Now, the reason I highlight this is that Africa is not supposed to be separate countries. We're not supposed to have different countries in Africa in the sense that uh, you, when you look at China and India, that's the, the, their population is almost just like Africa. And you find out that if we have the different countries that we have in Africa are not supposed to, the, the kind of loose relationship that they have within themselves is actually hampering the development of Africa. And a lot of, and this is not me just saying this, it has been said many times and by many people. But the thing is, why haven't we done something to change the narrative? Why haven't we done something to bring Africa together so that we can harness our resources together now to grow? The reason why Africa is constantly put in the second seat when it comes to the state of world affairs is because we are disintegrated. We are disjointed. We are not, we are not together as a people, as one people that have a common history. So until we come together, we cannot leverage the resources and the capacity that we have in order to position ourselves as global and world leaders as people who occupy a significant place in the history of human race, Africa being the cradle of human character. So, but the thing there is that you cannot, it is difficult for Africa to do that. You see, what has happened in the past? It's difficult for Africa to do that where there is a leadership, where the leadership is lacking. Muammar Gaddafi tried to unite Africa. Know, with uh, uh, you know, with his proposal for the United States of Africa, one currency, free trade routes, you know, and uh, you know, seamless movement of uh, resources, but it didn't happen. The likes of uh, uh, the president of Zimbabwe and many other Kwame Nkrumah and many and uh, many other African leaders tried to do that. They envisioned that and they tried to do that, but they couldn't. Why? They couldn't do that because their countries did not have that robust architecture or system. Their country did not occupy that strategic position to actually do that. But when you have a Nigerian president, owing to the role that Nigeria plays when it comes to African affairs and even globally, Nigeria actually has a voice in the world. It only needs the, a leader that will project that voice. The current leaders we have today and the ones we have in the past, they lacked the world without, they lacked the charisma to actually project that voice, to sound that voice, to echo that voice. Nigeria has that voice, but it needs to be echoed. So when Nigeria stands up, when it rises up and stands in its rightful position, by doing what it's supposed to do internally, by resolving its issues internally, first of all, uniting itself as a country, as a nation, and then coming up to speak with one voice, then you see that a lot of things will change for Africa. It will transform Africa economically. It will transform Africa uh, 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 politically. And it will transform Africa technologically and industrially. So. This is very, very critical. I keep saying this. There are two ways to do this. 
through the movement that we are pursuing, you know, trying to see that Nigeria and, uh, can find its way, and through, also through the revolution that is happening through the technological sector that young Nigerians are also pioneering in different areas. I believe it can be done. And I believe that's the only way it can be done. It's for us keep talking about it, keep walking towards it, and keep inspiring people with the hope that Africa can be better and that we can actually move it forward through the actions that we take every day. In fact, I think uh, immediately after the independence of the country, or even during that period in 1916, even 1950 and all that, one of the policies of Nigeria, the foreign policy, was that Africa was going to be the, was going to be the mainstay of our politics mm -hmm. to make sure that we play a pivotal role in the continent, both for its independence and also to, to project ourselves as a people in the world. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe you that it is true. Because imagine, for example, the intervention in Liberia and Sierra Leone at the time. The United States Army wanted to intervene. Of course, they did intervene. But what we come to understand now is that most of the U.S. Marines were inside the water. They didn't go into, into the mainland where the war was taking place uh, in Sierra Leone. But the Nigerian soldier said, the uh, Nigerian government sent soldiers to intervene. And they went there, they intervened. They did heroic work there. That is what leaders need to do. Of course, I understand that the, the Nigerian government was paid, I don't know if it was $12 billion or something, but we're talking of the human people, the people that actually went there to quell that war, to make sure that those wars were put to an end. It need resources, it need power, it need people who can stand up. Yo, because Ghana cannot stand up now for the whole of West Africa. How mm -hmm. are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. Africa certainly cannot do that. Senegal cannot do that because the reason is this one because numbers is important. Exactly. If Nigeria collapse, if you like build a tall wall to heaven in that in Ivory Coast, they will break it down and still enter. Meaning Nigeria that collapse will also collapse Ivory Coast and collapse Ghana. Mm -hmm. But if Nigeria is a solidified, a functioning country, no matter what happened in Ivory Coast or in Senegal or in uh, in Ghana. Is bigger. Nigeria is bigger enough to absorb the, the, the earthquake, and peace will be restored. So I believe that. I believe that so much. So looking at that, what do you think uh, should? What do you think we should do? Should be the primary objective of a new Nigerian president, twenty twenty three going forward. Yeah. So uh, I think um, first of all is to to secure the country, to make sure that the security is restored, um, to bring law and order, to make sure that security is re restored. But more importantly, because once you bring security in place, then people can listen to you. The, but more importantly, the, the next president of Nigeria should be able to give Nigeria a vision, a vision to look forward to, and the hope to pursue that vision. Because no country in the world, no nation in the world, no society in the world, no organization in the world is able to pull through times of turbulence and challenges without a resounding vision, without a clear and vivid vision that actually gives them hope. It's the job of a leader. So now I understand there are a lot of many other things that can be done when it comes to 
infrastructural work, power generation, education, invest in education, and all of that. I know all of those things, they are important. And for me, as, as far as I'm concerned, those are the primary duty of every person, every, every right-thinking human being. You should have policies and strategies that you set up in order to drive progress in each and every of these areas. But you can drive progress in these areas, whether it's power, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's education, whether it's any of this area without the vision of where you're going. Because you have to answer the question of why. What is our why? Why are we together? And, where, and what are we going to? Where do we see ourselves in the next 50, 100, 200 years from now? You should be able to project that. <clears throat> Once you project that, <clears throat> then every other thing that we are you are doing will now fall in line based on that vision. The reason Nigeria is so disorganized today and so uh, uh, and it's in chaos and there's a lot of apathy and people are agitating here and there for separate countries and all of that is because there is a lack of common vision that binds them together as a nation. Nigeria is not a nation. See, they don't have a common story that binds them together. The Hausa, they have a common story that binds them together. The Fulani, they have a common story that binds them together. The, the, the uh, Igbo, they have a common story of Biafra that binds them together. The, the Yoruba and the Duduwa people, they have a common story that binds them together. But what common story binds Nigeria together? None. So the leader that comes up should be able to articulate that vision and clearly express it and clearly communicate it to the people so that the people can hold that vision to heart. And then we imprint it in our institutions and then use that blueprint of our vision that common vision of a story to now draw out the blueprints for our economic infrastructural development, for our educational policy, for our socio-economic policies. It is based on that vision that we used to do that. Because if a leader comes in tomorrow and he promises and he solves power, provides power for everybody, there's power resources, that it solves the acid strike, you know, starts all of that, and then you create jobs and all of that. But the people do not feel that they are one. You will still see someone tomorrow come up, you say, I'm voting for my brother. The Igbo people are not my girl. You still people will still fight over resources, people will still fight over things, people will still not people will still be disorganized because there is no there is no common story that binds them together. So it's not just economic resources or economic progress that makes people successful. Economic progress and any form of progress that you talk about is underpinned by a single thing, and that is trust. The economy of every nation, the economy of every country, the progress of every country is underpinned on a singular factor, and that is trust. And trust is imbued through a common story that the people believe in. That is how you generate trust. It is when you trust in the common vision and story that has been communicated by your leader 
that you can now use that trust. It is that trust that will now transform into economic progress, into infrastructural development, because those things are symptoms of the people that have decided to stay together and build the future together. So you get the point. So all of these things have to be harnessed together and it has to be communicated to the people. So I think that is where it comes in. The, 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 that the leader, the next leader of Nigeria should start with that. First of all, securing the country because there's, the country is in total chaos today. You know, put security in place and all of that. But the first thing, agenda he should do should be to communicate a national vision for the country. And to, and to use that national vision to unite the people together. And then from that national vision, create economic policies, infrastructural policies, educational policies, and use it to drive the progress that will birth the new Nigeria that will lead Africa. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it is very important that, that we have this story <laughs> because, you know, anyway, I don't, I don't want to enter into this area again, um, but I want to just simply point out that it is very important that we have a story uh, this story, we are going to have to form the story and we are going to have to believe it and we're going to make it real. Because That's without this, we're just like animals just moving around, living on instinct. We're not supposed to live on instinct. We are human beings. We're supposed to have vision. We're like, you know, when you have vision, it like you create the kind of future that you want and you walk, you go back and walk towards it. Exactly. Animals don't do this. Animals exactly. just live on instinct. We are not. We are supposed to be human beings. In like in the next 20 years, what do we want to happen in Nigeria? Exactly. If we know, they will start working towards it today. It will not happen by miracle. It won't because we this is a plan that we have and we are materializing it. Of course, of course. So it, it no, it's no longer when you have it, the reason why you see the, the, the way we operate in Nigeria is see one administration comes in, it does what it likes. It obliterates the the what the work the work of the other administration. It stops it. It starts their own. And all of that is a lack of vision. So you are, that's why you see the person comes. You say this is not my own. It starts their own. This person comes, builds the roundabout. Another person comes, breaks the roundabout. And no, those kind of push it. So so that's that's the kind of thing that happens where there is no common vision that is leading the people towards a particular thing. So when you have a vision. It is upon that vision, the vision becomes the foundation upon which institutions of government and society will be built upon. And when you build institutions upon a very formidable vision, the vision is identity, people's identity, who they are. Africa is suffering from a lack of identity, an identity crisis. So if you're going to lead Africa as a nation, if Nigeria is going to lead Africa, it has to first of all formulate its own vision of its own identity itself. And then build its, uh, build its institutions on those identities so that every institution of the government, every institution of the society, be it the judiciary, be it legislature, be it uh, civil society, is built on those fundamental core values generated from the vision. And then it is when those institutions are built on those fundamental core values, that is when you will have strong institutions. And when you have strong institutions, irrespective of how corrupt a leader is, irrespective of how corrupt the actors within that system are, the institutions, because they are strong, will be able to purify and sieve away the chaff 
you know, from the main stuff itself. That is what countries like the United States and many and, and the and United Kingdom, that is what have kept together. You saw the last time when the, the queen died, how they came together and did all of this. So you see, that's the, the queen. We might have everything that we have to say about the Queen, about colonialism and all of that. But from the perspective of the UK citizens, the people, you find that, that the, the, the crown is that is a symbol of their identity. It doesn't matter what they, they what it represents for other people or what they have done to that, but it's their own symbol. That's where they derive their meaning from. So we have to create that for us. For the United States, is their founding fathers and the the the, the promise that of the American dream. So that's that's that common vision. So we have to have it. If you don't have that vision, that is where you derive your identity. And then on that identity, you build your institutions. That is why when you have those strong institutions, then a corrupt official cannot come up and mess up. Then uh, an ASU cannot go on strike and government will leave them for eight months because there's a common vision and there are institutions that will put things in place and policies to place to prevent those things. That's true. That's true. Because if really that is a vision of where the country want to go uh, in, in, in 50 years from now, and uh, maybe between now and next year, we want to produce at least, okay, we want to produce 50 daughters in this 50 years, just for example. And uh -huh. in this year, we're going to produce at least one doctor. Uh -huh. And it take one year to produce one daughter. And uh -huh. now for five months, the students are at home, which means we're not working according to the plan. Of course, but because so, there is no vision, then you can stay at home and go on strike because nobody, nobody is going anywhere. <laughs> that is what kind of. So we're only waiting for miracle to happen. Of course. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Hugo. I really appreciate the conversation. Now, what would be your your last statement here? Because really, I've been very rewarding and very educating. I believe that our audience, of course, that are listening to us, they have a lot of things to 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 benefit from it. So, what, how would you conclude it? Yeah, so um, how I conclude is uh, I would encourage every Nigerian youth out there to, like I said, you are not this election that is happening, that is coming up next year, is you're not voting to pass a judgment on the leaders, on the current leaders of the country. Because a lot of people say that, okay, that this election is, yeah, is, is a vote of confidence of whether they trust the leaders or not. It's, it's a referendum on the current government and all of that. I said, no, it's not a referendum on the current government. It's not a referendum on the leaders because they already failed. We don't need a referendum to tell us people who have already failed. You know that they have never been successful. The current, the crop of leadership we have in the country from 1960 to now has been abysmal. None of them has been successful. So it is not a referendum and it's not a judgment on the leaders or the government. It is a judgment on the self. It is a self-assessment on every Nigerian that will cast their ballot on the box. You are actually judging yourself. And that judgment, the judgment will pass upon ourselves. It is a self-judgment. And the judgment will pass on, upon ourselves will be revealed. The final judgment will be revealed when the result of the election will be called. And when that result is called, then we will have that message 
we will have that resounding judgment that says that a people deserve the leader they get. That is what is going to be the final judgment upon us. So that you don't cry for whatever outcome that comes out of it. You are going to the ballot, you are casting your vote based on what has happened in the last how many years? 16 years or 20 years now. Because it's not just 16, 16 years of PDP's misrule, you join it with APC's eight years. Then you're counting over 20 something years. So if for over 20 something years, you have still not come to the grasp of reality, of the terrible reality that you are in, it means that you're not gonna come to that grasp again. And it means that you have no hope, that you, that you don't want to be quit a future to your children. It means that you want to continue to perpetrate the suffering and the pain that your parents have bequeathed to you, that you want to bequeath it to your next children. So it is a, a and, it, and it goes to a long way to tell who the kind of character and person who you are. So it is a self-assessment on Nigerians. Reality will use the 2023 election to self-assess Nigerians, to know, have you suffered enough? Is your suffering enough? We are like people in purgatory. And then they, they, we are being tested with the fire. And we are being punished. And so at each point, after four years, you are asked, is the suffering enough? You say, if you say no, they continue applying the suffering. If you say until the point you say, it's, a, it's okay, I don't want to suffer again. Then you cast the, you, you now be asked to cast a vote to show that you no longer want to suffer again. That is what is happening in 2023. And I hope Nigerians realize that and take on the action to liberate themselves. This purgatory is no longer comfortable. We're going to leave. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, my brother. I appreciate the time. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate our review overhead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehe Ewafo. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.